Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Anyone not been here before? Because there will be a, a, a disclaimer with this service. Hey, raise your hand if this is your first time with us. Okay, disclaimer not needed. So most of you may know that I'm a state senator. And generally when I get up and speak before the church and share about God, some politics get into it. So I'm just, it's, the disclaimer's out. Y'all relax. It's going to be okay. Uh, I'm not, but there's, how many of you think there's this, this separation of church and state? Most people do. I'm going I'm to kind of be broad with this one. How many of you were born somewhere close, reasonably close to the early 60s? Early 60s, a lot of us. That was a transformative time for our nation because something happened in the early 60s. A Supreme Court came into power that did something no Supreme Court had done before them. They made up some law. And they did it not based on the Constitution, but based on a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to a group of Baptists. And many of you have probably heard this, but he wrote a letter to the Danbury Baptists, and he used the phrase what? Separation of church and state. He was trying to encourage them to know that the federal government had no power, had no power to come and change or force or do anything in the, in, within the religious community. At that time, there were a lot of state-sponsored churches, and the Danbury Baptists weren't the so-called state-sponsored church at the time, and they were concerned about that. But Jefferson ensured him that the Constitution was framed in such a way that the government couldn't do that to the church. So fast forward to now. I'm not so sure that those frameworks still exist. So what happened in the early 60s was this Supreme Court you know, up until that time, what was the number one textbook in the country? The Bible. It was the, for nearly 400 years in American history, the Bible was what people were taught from. Well, I mean, what could you learn from the Bible? You can learn about Jesus. You can learn about, you can learn about good behavior, can't you? I mean, good behavior goes a long way. I try to tell my son this. So, you know, it, 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 it will go well with you. I mean, God said it, honor your, he actually made a commandment out of it, didn't he? He etched it in stone, said, this is a good one. Honor your father and mother, for it will go well with you. I mean, a, that was a commandment with a promise. I like that. And you can count on God. So, so it was not uncommon. Actually, it was common that the Bible was the reference for a nation, for a nation. But the Supreme Court ruled in 62 and then in 63 that not only was the Bible not welcome in schools, it couldn't be in schools. So my generation, this was what I was born into. And it's a slow erosion. It wasn't like somebody flipped a switch and God was gone from America. But fast forward 50 plus years, and what do we have? What are we faced with? And so people don't like to mix politics and religion because they're so used to that phrase. I mean, people have bought into it. You ask most people 
who, who aren't intentional about their study of Scripture and aren't intentional about their relationship with God, and they're going to tell you there's a separation of church and state, and you cannot stand here and talk about God and politics. Or I can't stand in the state house and talk about God. They, you can't. Those, they're, they're mutually exclusive. Remember the two circles in, in, in math? And so these over here and these over here. And if those two circles don't touch, those things are mutually exclusive. Well, we've developed and we've taught our children to think that God and politics are mutually exclusive. And I, I, would, I, would, I would charge you with knowing that's not true. Because the Bible is all full of politics. All full of politics. And it's all full of politics gone wrong. Isn't it? One of the interesting things when you look at Israel, Israel went through many different phases as, 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 a, as a group, as a nation per se. There was the time of the kings. And what's interesting I found as I've studied is there was about the same number of kings of Israel. When I say Israel, I'm talking about the, what ended up being the two kingdoms, but started out as one. Y'all remember that, right? So it started as one kingdom, and then what happened? It split. But they had the, the number of kings they had is pretty close to the number of presidents we've had. We've had a few more presidents, but, I mean, they've had about 38 kings. And... This was over about a 400-year period. America, I mean, there's just some similarities. I'm not trying to do a blood moon thing here, so y'all relax, okay? <laughs> I'm not drawing, but I'm just saying there's parallels, because the Bible tells us clearly there is nothing new under the sun. So we're either going to learn from history, we're going to learn from what God tells us, or we're not, and we're, gonna, we're doomed to repeat the same mistakes that nations before us have had. But what's interesting I found when I was studying the kingdoms, so you had the combined kingdoms under, under Saul and David and Solomon, but it broke down under Solomon, didn't it? That's when it split. And it split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was what? Israel, right? And there were ten tribes that kind of went that way. A choice was made. Which way will I go? And then the southern kingdom was Judah. The southern kingdom was Judah, and that left two tribes to be in the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, Israel, if you look at it, I found an interesting chart, and the colors can tell you something. The northern kingdom's on this side of the chart, and the red means bad, green means good. The kings of Israel, they were all bad. They never had a good one. In the kings of Judah, there were eight. In and out, it was up and down, up and down. So I say this when I talk about where we are today in America. What should we be concerned with who rules over us? What does our kingdom look like as citizens of a nation? Should we even concern ourselves with it? Do you think Israel should have concerned themselves with how they, who they followed? When the, when the kingdom split, do you think the ten tribes might have picked differently? And what was wrong with the kingdom of Israel? What, what specifically went wrong that they should have known, don't go that way? Well, Reuben and his bunch decided they were going to set up idol worship from the get-go. They were going to worship the calf from the get-go. It's not going to go well with them. But the majority of the tribes went that way. The majority went that way. 
And I, I see very much parallels for us in our nation today. So we take God out of the equation and set up some other idol. Like knowledge is a higher idol. Knowledge, Gnosticism, just, just, just whatever we can get from education. It's, it is glorified. We spend more money on education in America than anything else except maybe the lottery. But... <laughs> We uh, honestly, we spend more money, uh, or fan. What is that thing? That football thing everybody's doing? Fan, duel, fan duel, or something? They're going to pay out billions this year, right? Wait till the government figures out how to tax that. They're going to, right? <laughs> if if you can tax it, if you can't control it, that is the way the government thinks. But here we've got a choice in our country. Which way are we going to go? What should we expect as a nation? Adams, our second president, John Adams, he said that our framework of government only works for religious and moral people. It's wholly unsuited for the governing of any other kind. Because before that, he said there's no government on earth that can subdue an unbridled man. There's no government on earth that can subdue an unbridled man. Only God can subdue an unbridled heart. Only God. That's why he says, you know, no more tablets of stone for you folks. I'm going to write it in your hearts. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to change you and make you a new creation. I'm going to put you back in your right place. But it's going to take the blood of the Lamb to do it. There has to be a price paid. And so here we are as a nation not willing to, to recognize that there's a price to be paid. And we're just willing to go along. We're just going to fall into that northern kingdom because it just seems like the easier thing to do. And there was some arguments at the time about taxation. They were complaining about the tax, and, and a lot of them said, you got to quit that tax. We're going to go over here and start our own kingdom. And so all the, none of the priests went into the northern kingdom at the time, and so they set up their idol worship. So what, what do we do in, in our day? Where have we gone since that decision in the early 60s where we took God out, out of education? We've removed him from just about every other place of public influence and public speaking. They want this to be the only place we can talk about God. And they don't want us to be able to talk about politics in here. And that's a dangerous thing for our nation. Because I fear if we allow that to happen... And guess what? We're, these are things we get to have influence over. How many of you think you have influence over the culture? You need to raise your hand. How many of you actually have probably said, oh, it doesn't matter what I do, my vote doesn't count? I mean, honestly, everybody I talk to says that most people feel that way right now. They're so discouraged, they're so distraught, they don't think there's, you can't change it. How many said, oh, it doesn't matter, they're all the same? Everybody said that. Friends, they are not all the same. There are Josiahs in the land. And the Josiah was the guy. He loved God. And he, he took the people back to God. And so we need to be the Josiahs in the land. I was, we were praying, and I love that as we get to pray this morning, I listen um, beforehand with our, with our worship team and, and some of our church ministry leaders. 
anybody that's going to encounter God today is going to encounter it through us. The, the incense isn't burning in the corner, and he's not going to appear in, that, in here today, uh, or unless he just chooses to do what he wants to do. But his design and the time for us today is if God's going to encounter, if, we're, if the people of, are going to encounter God, it's going to be through us. It's going to be through the worship team. It's going to be through you. The rest of this day, the world waits for the sons of God to be revealed. So they're either going to encounter, they're going to encounter God one way or the other. They're going to encounter God through a godless nation and godless leadership. Or they're going to encounter God through his people who are marked by love and a compassion, a desire, an overwhelming sense to reach the lost. Because they're broken and they need God. We have the answer for them, folks. We are not poorly equipped for the task in front of us. We have the answer for a broken nation. We do. And it's usually the minority that makes that happen. We don't have to outnumber them. One. Almost always God uses one. You all know Gideon's story, don't you? He had 32,000. Mighty men of valor. God says, no, that's not going to look good. And so they whittle it down to 300. And Gideon just, I mean, you got to love Gideon. He keeps, all right, God, I'm, I'm really, please prove this to me. I mean, anybody need God to kind of show himself sometimes just to make sure you're in the right spot and the right time and doing the right thing? It's nice. We all throw our fleeces out, don't we? We do. And we throw them out a couple times. All right, make it wet. No, make it dry. No, make it purple. Just do something, God. I, I'm not sure I'm hearing you. You're hearing him. You're just trying to run from him. It's like Balaam and his donkey. Donkey goes, why are you kicking me? <laughs> right? I mean, Balaam's like, just, just, I don't want to go that way. You know what was in front of him? An angel. He had a destiny. He had an encounter with with an authority of God that he wanted to avoid. And the road kept getting narrower and narrower. The walls hemmed him in. The donkey's going. The donkey said, here we go. And Balaam don't want to because Balaam was, was going to do something highly likely that God didn't want him to do, which was to curse Israel. To curse Israel. The enemies of Israel wanted to see that nation cursed. The enemies of God want to see our nation cursed. They want to make God of no effect. They have no place for God in our world because they don't think they have place for Him in their heart. They're wrong. They do. But they're not going to meet Him by force. Maybe they can see, maybe a donkey might do it. You know, people talk about the current political arena and, they, and people say, what about Trump? And I always say, I say, well, God used a donkey to turn a nation around in the right direction. Maybe, you know, so. But what the point is, the point is if they're going to meet, they're going to make that destiny. They're, they have an appointed time. There's an angel to meet and it's one of us. It's one of us, and are you going to be there and you going to say the right thing? Are you going to bless the nation or are you going to curse it? Are you going to bless God or are you going to curse Him? Well, we just got to look in our own lives, don't we? How do we react in our own lives to the challenges 
that we have. Do you bless God or do you curse Him? Do you agree with His Word or do you reject it and make some other statement? You know, it's the, oh, oh it's, I'm, I'm, I'm dying. You're killing me. I mean, we talk, we talk in such weird phrases that we just are so cliche and we're so used to saying, but we negate the Word of God consistently by a poor confession, by a poor mindset. And that's why I love worship so much, because it kind of just, for me, it helps push all that out of the way. And so at the end of that, that worship service, you should know that God loves you. It should be clear and reestablished in your mind that God loves you. And that's good with worship and the, and the timbrel and the harp and all that. But people should get that same impression after they've met you on the street. You are the timbrel and the harp of God. You're speaking music into their lives by your witness of someone, of the king, who has set you apart and made you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, sanctified for good works, set apart for very, very good and important works. Does it mean saving a nation? Maybe. Maybe. If we as a people will choose that, we can run the way of Israel. We can run to false gods and never see another good king. But we can go the other way too. But we can't stand back and wait to see if somebody takes us there. Where are you going? Where are you going in your life and in your home? Do you run to God or do you run to the calf? When troubles come, do you run to God or do you run to the calf? Troubles are going to come, right? I mean, things just get difficult. So you run to God, obviously. It's an easy, easy question, easy answer. You know, one of the interesting things when I look in Acts, if you, if you, in Acts uh, chapter 7, turn with me there. Y'all brought your Bibles, I know. They're going to turn with me up here. Acts chapter 7 and verse oh, 18. And I may have share, shared this before, but this is, this is just... This is like my verse for the year. It's just some things, sometimes you get a word from the Lord and it just saturates everything you do and you just kind of, he just builds around that for you personally. So y'all bear with me as you go with me on a personal journey of where God's got me right now. But one of the things we got to look, look at, how do things go bad in a nation? And, and this is the neat part where Stephen is talking. He's basically given the really cool chronology of the history of the world, isn't he? And, and he's just telling it all, and he gets to the part uh, right here in verse 18. He says, until there arose another king over Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. I mean, I know that's all y'all's favorite scripture, right? <laughs> what is it saying? What happened right then? What happened to the children of Israel? Was that the beginning of captivity? It was. Because a king rose up in Egypt. Remember, Joseph, Joseph had basically saved the world through, his, through his, what God had told him to do. They prepared, and he went into Egypt. And that, I mean, his brothers tried to kill him. You know, everybody tried to kill him, imprison him, marginalize him. Have you ever felt like the world's trying to marginalize you, push you to the side, and make you of no effect? 
Nobody can claim they've been marginalized more than Joseph, what was going on in his life. But God had a plan. And he always does for each of us. There's always a way out of the pit. There's always a way out of the prison. There's always a way to influence the world around you. And Joseph virtually saved the world by having food for them, having grain, the bread of life. You know, just like Jesus is our, we've got it. We've got that same grain. We've got storehouses of it, do we not? And we should have it stored up and ready for when everybody needs it. So Joseph was second only to Pharaoh, wasn't he? Pharaoh, an unbeliever, exalted a believer to the highest office in the land other than himself. And said, this, this guy's got it. He knows, he he knows something I don't know, but I'm good with it, and I trust him. But then arose a king who didn't know Joseph. So had time had gone by. Joseph had slept with his fathers. And nobody told the king about Joseph. Have you told the king about Joseph? Is our nation godless because we haven't told the king about Joseph? Do we have godless leaders because we have not told the story of God? Do they not know God because we don't expect to see God in them? Do we tolerate godlessness and they drift further away from Him? Has there arisen a king in America that doesn't know Joseph? And is it his fault or ours? I'm telling you, friends, there is always hope in the kingdom of God. Always. It is never extinguished. I, it may be the faintest glimmer. It, it, and it may look really dark. But that, that light will kindle a nation. What did it take? Hundreds of years of slavery because the king didn't know God. And then a man who, who knew God, somehow in his, God was speaking to him, rose up and said, no, let, let my people go. Let my people go. There's liberty in the kingdom of God. So I, there's always a way out. I personally don't want to go into 200 or 300 years of slavery for our nation because that's our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids and our great-great-grandkids. We can do better than that, friends. We can let the king know about Joseph and about God. Can't we? How do we do that? Spread the word. Be civically active. Oh, my. Tear down that imaginary barrier in your mind that you can't talk about God and politics. Don't be uncomfortable to proclaim the goodness of God in a political atmosphere. God is good. He's good to politicians. He's good to anybody that will yield their knee to Him. It's when they won't yield. There's no law. There's no government. There is nothing we can establish that can control an unbridled man. And our job is, is we get the best job. 
We get to tell them how good it is. And that's why I love our church home. That's why I love Pastor Clint. Hey, Clint, I know you're watching going, oh, no, the, 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 the politician's preaching again. Um, <laughs> it's all right. Um, I love the message of grace. It's light. Jesus says, you know, cast your burdens on me. Take, take, take mine. And he talks about it being light. And I didn't get that in my, I just, I, everything about religion felt heavy to me for many, many, many years. God was always good, and he was always growing me and, and, and conforming me more to his image. But it's some, when, when, when it felt heavy, when I left church feeling heavier than when I went in, something was up. And I don't feel that way when I come here. And, it come, and, and it, it, I walk in the door, and I'm greeted by joy and exuberance and love. And I come up here, and I'm greeted with a celebration of God's goodness. And I hope here you're recognizing that we have a joy in completing, doing what he's called us to do. This ambassadorship is not, it's not a death sentence. We're not going to Benghazi. This is a good one. There is life for everyone, not just you, for everyone around you. If they will just believe. You can't beat them up with the law. The law's not going to do any good. Has the law made us a more moral nation? You know how extensive the law in America is today? I mean, God fit it on two tablets. Jesus fit it in two sentences. The Federal Register is pushing 140,000 pages and growing daily. It's exponential. And that doesn't include Georgia law, which is pushing. When I called Georgia, our, our legislative council, I said, how many pages in the Georgia code? Dead silence on the other side of the phone. These are our legal folks that write the law for, for us as legislators. They'll, they'll, we'll take an idea to them. And I've got some good ideas this year. It's going to be good. <laughs> I can't tell anybody because then they set up their barriers against it. But there are some good ideas, things that take return the power to the people. And, and get rid of the patents of nobility, the things, the goodies that politicians like to hand out, the favoritism and that kind of thing. We don't like that. That's not how our system's supposed to work, right? But Georgia law, they didn't know the answer. It took them a while. They called me back and said, well, we think it's about 65,000 pages. And they said, but we're adding a new volume. I said, that's bad news. <laughs> said, well, one volume just got too big. We couldn't contain it in one book, so we have to split it in half and create a whole new book. I said, oh, that is very disturbing. That is just disturbing. But has that made us more righteous? No. Grace, God's ability, his influence over our heart, that's what makes for a bridled man and bridled nation. Limited government only works if self-government's in place. Right? And we're all friends, fans of limited government. I am. I, I'd shrink government. Oh, my word. It would get... But some of that falls back to us. Why is defects such a nightmare? Because we've destroyed the family. Who destroyed the family? Did government destroy the family? 
Or did we forget to tell the king? So when the Supreme Court decides they're going to make law and do the things they do, do we just sit by and yield to that? Do we just accept that and say, okay, that's all right. That's just what we've got. Those are our boundaries. That's the kingdom I live in. That's the sphere of influence I, I live and operate in. No, we look for Josiah. Or we be Josiah. And our sphere of influence. You know the word kingdom in the scripture talks about the concept of it that, I, that, is, that is the territory of influence. So how many of you live in the city of Noonan? In the city limits. Okay. You are bound by their rules. I can live three feet outside the city limits of Noonan, and I don't have to play by their rules. You recognize that this is kingdom. You need to understand this. And so what? So the United States is that way. George is that way. There's boundaries. So you can be over there on one side of the Chattahoochee, and you've got a set of rules that apply to you in Georgia. You climb on, go to the other side, and Alabama's rules apply to you. And they're different. And this is why I think the Scripture says, and of the kingdom of God, there is no end. There is no limitation. There is no boundary. There is no place you will ever go that you're outside of His kingdom. So don't try to get it. Don't try to escape it. Just don't say, oh, that's not my territory. It is, friend. It is. It's His. He paid a dear price for it. A complete price. It wasn't a partial payment. It wasn't a down payment. It wasn't a security deposit. It wasn't layaway for Christmas. It was once and forever the payment for all sin. Paid by Christ on everyone's behalf that will receive it. Now we just got to tell the world about it. We've been telling them a lot of stuff, but I don't think we've been telling them that. So let's not get mixed up on the journey of how you restore a kingdom. How you get the king to recognize Joseph and his God once again. How you get back to Judah, where you can have the right kind of kings in place. You go, if we go down the path of Israel, the northern kingdom, there was not a good one amongst them. I mean, it said they were awful. They were terrible. They were, just look at the adjectives. They were an awful king. Some of them didn't last but a little while. The one behind them killed them. I mean, just to, to be a more awful king. We have the opportunity as the body of Christ, as ambassadors, to change the world around us. So in your sphere of influence, your territory of influence, even if it only goes as far as you can reach, unless you have leprosy, somebody's going to come close to you. And you can touch them with the kingdom of God. And if you touch them the way we do, way we, we don't burden them. You know, this, the scripture, you know, when it talks about the attorneys and the lawyers, and I, I think Jesus, this, he, I could just see, just kind of got agitated. <laughs> you, won't, you will burden people with the rule of law. You will burden the brewers with so many laws, they can't brew beer. You're just going to make it so bad on them, they can't do anything. I'm not speaking to anybody here in the room. <laughs> Yet you will not lift a finger to help. That's what the church has been far too often in our world. We put burdens on people instead of lifting them. 
And we're equipped. We got the heavy lift stuff, folks. We can lift any burden they've got because we do have the gospel of peace. I mean, the angels declared it. I mean, they could have said a lot of things that day when Jesus was born, couldn't they? They could have said a whole lot. Of th- I, it, if you know, Some folks, if it was given to a politician to announce his coming, it would have been a very long speech. <laughs> and it, would have, it wouldn't have been good. They said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Toward men. The breach is about to be mended. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Is it in you? Jesus, this was his, this is his message. He kept telling folks, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. You're, I know you want something else. I know you want somebody else to fix it. I know you want Trump to make us great again. I know you do. But it's within you. What are you going to do with it? The kingdom of God is at hand. And it's a glorious, glorious kingdom. It, it, it's got to make you smile. It does. And it should make everybody around you smile too. It is, it's sweet and it's light, is it not? Amen. Let, let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. It is so easy, Lord, honestly, if we just open our mouths and proclaim your goodness. It's so easy, Lord, if we would just yield our, our personal agendas to what you've called us all to do. The world deserves an encounter with you, Lord, and, and I, I just ask that you continue to open my heart and break down those, those, those calloused areas in my life that I've allowed to develop, that I've put in place for whatever reason, Lord, that I might be a better ambassador for you, Lord, that I might better reflect your glory in the earth, and for each of us, Lord, I just pray because we, it's decision time for us as a nation. Are we going to the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom? Are we going to follow false idols or are we going to follow you? Are we going to exalt the world or are we going to exalt you? And Lord, I know the heart of this people here today. We're all family. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, best as I can, I can tell. But if any of us here don't know you in this way, aren't so set in this relationship, all they got to do is ask you in. Say, yeah, Lord, you are everything you say you are. And Christ is everything he said he is. And I just agree with that. And my life's going to reflect that from here on out because you're going to equip us to do it. So, Lord, just let us go forth today knowing that as your ambassadors, we are fully equipped to do every good work. That there is a joy that comes with those encounters let us not be fearful about them but let us expect good things that earnest expectation of good things should compel us and energize us all the days of our lives because it never ends father and of your kingdom we know there is no end help us every day everywhere we go every place we set our feet and everywhere the extent of our voice is heard May you be glorified and you be exalted and the name of Christ be lifted up as our Redeemer 
as our Savior and our eternal King. And Lord, thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.